0: Welcome to Season 2 of the Medal of Honor podcast. Your host is U.S. Armed Forces veteran Tiffany Martz-Chink. Tiffany retired after 24 years of honorable service in the Army, most of which was on active duty, but also served in the Army Reserves. In addition to serving in her military occupational specialty of Religious Affairs Non Commissioned Officer, she also served as an Army recruiter and a senior instructor for advanced individual training. Dan Carter of the Charleston, South Carolina area is a U.S. Air Force veteran. He retired after 20-plus years of service in logistics management and transportation. Dan is married with two kids. Dan Carter's education and accomplishments are as follows. 2018 First Sergeant of the Year. 2013 Non-Commissioned Officer of the Year. 2011 Unit Safety Representative of the Year. Bachelor's of Science in Organizational Leadership from Ashford University, graduated magna cum laude with a GPA of 3.89. Veterans National Honor Society and Alpha Sigma Lambda Honor Society.
1: So I joined the Air Force out of uh, Elgin, Illinois, which is uh, north of suburbs in Illinois, Chicago. Initially, in high school, I did not know what I wanted to do. Uh, high school, my uncle took me on a trip to Washington, D.C. in January time frame. And from there, I think I was just seeing the Capitol, all the monuments, things like that. I it patriotic at me at that point. And came back to Illinois. So I went through the senior high school and decided, I'm going to look at the military. Looked at a few of the different branches, and I ended up choosing the Air Force, looking at quality of life. So that's why I decided to um, pick the Air Force. I joined as a 2T2 air transportation, load cargo, passengers on planes, were fleet service, passenger patrol. Did that for 16 years. So now I'm a first sergeant. I've enjoyed every bit of it, the getting ready to retire here in the next uh, six, eight months. So... Went to basic training at Lackland Air Force Base in Texas. Um My tech school was at the same base. From there, my first duty station was uh, Traverse Air Base in California. I spent about a year and a half there. Deployed once out of there. My next duty station was uh, Lodges Field in Azores, a small little island off the coast of Portugal. Um That was a short tour, so it was about 15 months. And then from there, uh Charleston Air Force Base in South Carolina. I think I deployed probably six times out of that. And then from there to uh, Scott Air Force Base in Illinois. And that's where I was picked up for freshman duty and then ended up at Shepard Air Force Base where I'm currently at.
2: You've been around and it sounds like you've deployed a lot. the Air Force doesn't seem to deploy as much as, well, I think the Navy probably deploys the most out of all branches. But it doesn't seem like the Air Force deploys as much as it sounds like as a whole as as you have. Um, Was that normal? for a person to deploy that much?
1: I would say for the career field I was in, um, all the planes come in, we'd have to get the cargo off of them. So that's why we had a pretty high uh, deployment rate is everything going on, they needed us downrange.
2: You're transitioning out of the military. What is that like? What is that experience like for you? And then you have to be there 10 minutes early, otherwise you're late, just a whole bunch of a, a bunch of stuff.
1: So, I would say probably this past, um, this past summer, or actually last January, my wife and I were talking about, um, potential retirement coming up. And then in the summertime, it got a little more picked up and then my, my, uh, back's hurting. Cause with my, uh, previous career field, it's not for bad backs from loading all the cargo. It's hurting pretty good. So, it's probably time to start looking at retirement since I was over 20 at that time. So, we started looking. I decided one September, push the button for one September next year retirement. I would say, it was kind of a relief once it was accepted and I was approved of retirement because it's been a long career and that time is over. And then just start folk from there, start focusing on what is next. Those steps, it's, it's a daunting task interviewing, looking for jobs, just building all that up. So right now we're looking, at potential logistics jobs. Cause that's what my main career was for the first 16 years looking for that in the Charleston area. And then we're starting right now. Yes, a uh, wife and two kids, uh, five and six-year-old. So
2: so you have your hands it was full right now. a big family decision.
1: It's something that we, we made together.
2: Charleston, South Carolina, is a big port city. So I would imagine that there would be transportation jobs there. My question is, are you picking that job to do, to look for because you have that, um, 16 years experience doing it in the military, or is it something that not only you have experience to do, but you also, um, love it, or is it just something to kind of help you, help you and transition to do bigger and better things?
1: So I enjoy. um one thing I'm learning is there's a lot of different aspects of it. Um So that's what I'm trying to figure out, which one to go with. But I enjoy process improvement, seeing how things work. So there's a lot of that stuff I can do in logistics. Um That's one of the reasons we're doing it. And if it doesn't work out, um I can always do a change after a few years or whatever if I find something different.
2: Now, you said something that was key, too. You said that it, it was a, a big family decision. How, how did that, how did those conversations turn out? What, what was it like, um, you know, coming home and saying to your wife, Hey, look, you know, my back's hurting. I've been in for 20 years. Um, I think it might be time to leave this environment that we're familiar with and go into what the rest of the world does what what were those conversations like um because it, like you mentioned it is a big decision especially when you're involving a, um, a spouse and children how how did those conversations pan out
1: luckily we're pretty much on the same wavelength with a lot of this um so she's from um folly beach area so she's she's ready to go back home um so it, it went fairly well. Um Yeah, she's just between her well, the kids would be around the grandparents. So she was ready to go home anyways. So it was just a matter of us uh, getting things away.
2: So yeah, being around the grandparents, I think that's a big thing too. Yeah, you know, it does it does play a part in it. One that the grandparents get to be part of their grandkids' lives. As well as, um, your grandparents can provide that, uh, childcare that you maybe couldn't have, uh, when you were stationed away from them. So that's a definitely a good thing. So what, let's yes. say, let's say you get into this, um, you get into this transportation arena because it's what you've worked and you're familiar with. And you say you know it's not like it was in the military um this just might not be my uh field of of, of my desired field of employment what would be your next area of interest and why
1: so i've this is where we're trying to find the i guess the right um I enjoy management, so I'm probably gonna, if, if this doesn't work out logistics, I'm probably gonna try and find some kind of, uh, management. I, I enjoy being a first sergeant. It has a lot of like HR type work, uh, but it's not HR because of the, um, we don't do all like the, the civil laws and things like that. Um, so I would probably try to find something similar to that management wise, just leading people. Um, yeah, it's, it's gonna require a lot of looking around to see, uh, see what's out there and just try to, go that route
2: yeah and one thing that i think a lot of a lot of veterans are not aware of and and even transitioning service members you may be aware of it you may not i don't know but that you know when it comes to um getting those marketable skills when leaving the military either because you did not obtain them while you were in or you're looking for a different skill set that you can use your Montgomery GI Bill or post nine eleven GI Bill, whichever it is, depending on how long you've been in, uh, towards certifications. Not it doesn't have to be just towards a degree, but towards certifications. So there you know, along those lines of management and certifications and HR, there is the Shrum certification, which is an HR certification that helps you get into that kind of job and field. There's also like project management, uh, the P M P certification as well as Lean Six Sigma and those those courses and then the exam once completed um are definitely good to put on a resume and help work in, help work in those particular fields So I would imagine like with somebody like you and who is going into the Charleston area where there's a lot of transportation things, a lot of cargo coming in and out of the country by way of Charleston, having that HR certification or Lean Six Sigma or uh, the project management, you could work in some sort of transportation company, but in a different role you know, in, in, in a leadership management type role, is that something that you had ever pursued or looked at utilizing?
1: So I look at, um I'm using the Air Force COOL program right now for a, a, a management certification. I'm actually in the third week of it. Um, but I've also looked at the Onward Opportunity through Syracuse University. Uh, I plan on using that when I get out because that will give you a, There's a long list. I think the HR one's on there, PMP, uh, Six Sigma. Um, So I am going to be using those to, I guess, to build my resume up a little bit more uh, and and kind of narrow it down to what I want to do probably when I get out.
2: Yeah, I I use that program. That's another good program. Uh, I used it to get uh, the, oh my gosh, Security Plus certification for IT. And so those core cohorts that they have, it's definitely good because you you can, it's self-paced, but uh, I guess I should say self-paced, but with some loose guidelines of needing to finish it within a certain time period. So that's, that's definitely another good uh, resource for people to take advantage of. I just, that's one, you know, one thing that I hope I can do is, um, through the website and these podcasts, provide resources to people who may not know something like that exists. I I didn't I didn't know. Well, let me rephrase that. The that that program you're talking about with uh, with Syracuse University, I was able to do while I was still in. Um. So that was beneficial. But yeah, I I think. A lot of times we need to make sure that we're looking outside of the box and really get a good look at what's available. Because I think sometimes we only look at things like the VA or a local government office for resources. Those are good places to look for resources, but so is looking at those nonprofit agencies that are out there that can be of benefit as well. And there's a lot out there. So
1: yeah, yeah. Since I your... started, um, since since September, sorry. Go ahead.
2: No, go for it. It's all about you.
1: I uh, say since September uh, when I first pushed the button, I got um, more in on LinkedIn, things like that, and from there it's gonna it kind of blew up to all the aperture of how many organizations out there to help us in the transition and it's i think that is what has made it um taken a lot of stress off there's people out there helping out and uh, mentors talking to and all the programs that they have to offer um i'm hoping that's what veterans find too is all the people are there out to help us with this process
2: yeah i wish i knew about what all was out there prior to my getting out it wasn't until, because I've been out of the military for a year and a half, almost two years now, and it wasn't until recently that I realized how many different resources were out there. Um Especially as I started to prepare to do this podcast, I found more and more as time goes by of things that I can take advantage of as a veteran that I didn't even know existed some of which I think would have been more beneficial for me to take advantage of either just before or just after getting out. But I just was unaware. And there's another myth too, that I think a lot of people have yes. um, is thinking, Oh, well I'm good because I have uh 10, 15, 20 years of military service. So anybody's going to want to hire me, but that's, that's not necessarily the case it just because you're a veteran i mean sure it says it does say a lot about you that you served but that doesn't mean that people are going to want to hire you solely because you served in the military for however long that was um what
1: yeah i agree with that
2: awesome better mister no i'm kidding (laughs) i'm kidding (laughs) uh so what what does life what do you (coughs) excuse me what do you envision life looking like outside of the military Uh, if you could imagine you've now retired you've moved back to charleston you've Um, settle into a job and a place to live. What does life look like now outside of just merely having a job and a place to live, what, what do you envision life looking like once you're out the military?
1: For me, I was probably more time with the kids and the family, um, finding a, a steady job with standard hours. Um, and being able to actually go out and do things the dance the soccer um not worrying about being on call 27, 7 um just being there for them on a constant basis um so I, I try to much with the family now but it's kind of hard at times
2: Oh, uh, I didn't realize I'm muted, muted myself. <laughs> um, is dance and <laughs> soccer? Yeah, I, I asked you a question. I was sitting here thinking, why is he not answering? Um, and it's because I had myself muted. So good on me. Not really. Um, <laughs> so you said like <laughs> soccer and dance are. You said getting involved in those are those things that your kids are involved in.
1: Yeah, so my, my daughter does uh, dance right now, and then my son wants soccer, so when all this stuff lifts and he's able to do it again, that's something he wants to try.
2: Awesome. So just the,
1: the childhood sports and things like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that that's definitely... Having those activities to do for the kids are definitely a plus, I think. Um But what do I know? <laughs> um... So what else? I mean, what does life look like? What, you know, especially having kids that young, what, what, what is life going to be about? Because I think, you know, now this might be just my two cents worth, but I don't think it is. But what, you know, I think in the military, especially being in as long as you and I have been, it's so easy to find our identity in our uniform. That everything that we have on our, one, the uniform itself, you know, indicating that I'm uh, a soldier, an airman, a Marine, um, having that uniform, you says something about, about you as a person. And then it also on your uniform has the rank that you obtained. And then different patches, different medals, different awards, um, and it's so easy to say that that's my identity, that everything that's on that uniform is who I am and it defines me. But in reality, one of the things that I'm seeing, is, especially now that I've transitioned out the military, is the that uniform and everything that was on it is merely what I did. It was my occupation. Sure, it's more than what a civilian job is, but at the end of the day, I take that uniform off and that's, so that uniform is not my identity. What do you think with that, that you're going to find find out about yourself when you're going to be making your own decisions and not having somebody tell you what you're going to do and how you're going to do it? And then making those decisions, not just for you, but for a spouse and kids as well. What do you think, how do you think that that's going to impact you and your family? Or do you think that you are pretty secure in uh, who you are as a person, even outside of a uniform?
1: I would think I'd be I'm pretty secure. Um, that may change um, when term relief starts and I'm. No longer wearing the uniform and no longer being able to do Um, so. That's one thing I probably need to uh, do some soul searching on and um, think about that in the future.
2: Yeah, there's um, yeah, and I would I would say to you and I would say to people listening to the podcast on my website, I have a tab that's called resources, and when you click on that tab. There's then a, a, another tab that says veteran resources under there. I have a lot of nonprofit organizations that, um, and I have them kind of separated in categories of organizations that help just help with transition as a whole, some help with finding employment. Others are different resources as it relates to, um, getting some counseling. Uh and one one of which I have participated in is the Commit Foundation where they have this uh and I'm still uh involved in one of the programs they offer where it it's it's about that. It's about getting to the core of uh of who I am, what my values are. I that's that's the area that I'm on right now. It's just amazing when I really Sit back and reflect on it. I'm on that part where it talks about values. And what it does is I'm having to look at what my values are and why. Do I hold these particular values because it's what the army, they were the army values? Do I have these other set of values that I call my own values because it's what I grew up on? uh, Because it's what my parents valued, therefore I valued it. Or, or, or what? And it, it, and it's forcing me to look at those things to see, you know, why do I think that telling the truth is important? Or why do I value, uh, going to a worship service? You know, so questioning those things really has been amazing. Um, because when I honestly ask myself, what's my why behind the what? Um, it it can be challenging, because this yeah you know, I think many times we say well of course you know integrity is important. Well, why is it important? Huh? Let me think about that. Yeah. You know, so um yeah, you know, there's it, there's it it's it's forcing me to think about and question things I never thought about questioning. So yeah, you know, that's that's something that I have found um in in my transition. Is questioning why, you know, why is this a priority? Why do I think that I need to go into transportation or why this or why that? There's just, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot out there. Um, yeah. I mean, (laughs) I, mean, there's not much I can say to really elaborate on it. (laughs) Oh, I thought you were about to say something. Yeah, for me,
1: like, like the why for the logistics and stuff. I I said, like the why for logistics and the translation for me, it's what I'm comfortable at. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to have to get comfortable with else. So.
2: Yeah.
1: That's where I'm going to have to adapt as we go. And if, if we need to make changes, we
2: can. Yeah. And that is, that is a scary thing. Um, because I think, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, you're going with the job that you're comfortable with because you did it for 16 years. Uh, however, I will tell you something that I have seen and noticed on the civilian side is that when when I, you know, when I left the military, going into the, like, the same or similar field that I did in the military, because I'm doing it in a different environment. Uh, It's not as similar as I thought it was going to be. And so that, you I'm glad you have that uh, flexibility um, of saying, hey, I'm going to try this out because it's what I have 16 years of experience in, but I'm also prepared for that to potentially not pan out the way I want it to. So I have to be prepared to go into something else.
1: Yeah, it's one thing I learned. You have to be able to flexible and um, be able to adapt to different situations. So that's why we're going into this with an open mind and um, not not. I'm not strong on like I have to work with company A or company B. I'm open to anything.
2: Yeah, and that is definitely good um, for sure. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. So let me ask you this: If you you know, having, having the, having the 16 years of experience in one particular field, but 20 years experience in the military as a whole. If you were able to talk to yourself at the age of 18 or however old you were when you joined, knowing now what you know, what would you tell your 18 year old self? What advice would you give yourself?
1: I probably would have taken the advice that people gave me and, uh, I invest a lot earlier than I did, um, to make retirement a lot more comfortable. Uh, also I've taken, probably would use better maneuvers for, uh, pushing pallets and got more help in doing that because that's where sort of the, the back, back problems and the come from. So probably taking care of myself. Investing a lot more earlier when I could have versus waiting to do it later in life when goods and house and family, you got to look after as well.
2: I am right there with you. You know, I remember, uh, t- I remember talking to a Sergeant major in the army who was about to retire and I was about halfway through my own career. He said that his dot his dad taught him about, about investing money. And I don't remember, <coughs> excuse me. I don't remember the percentages that he was sharing, but his dad told him, uh, cause he came in as an E1 and his dad said, Hey, look, set each paycheck. Have this percentage of your paycheck taken out and put over here in your savings accounts and each time that you get promoted keep that same percentage which will be a higher dollar amount and just set that aside every month he said when you is that total when you start off it's not going to seem like it's much at all but over time it's going to build up and next thing you know you're going to have this money built up and saved up and he said he did that and another thing that he did on top of that when he got to a certain rank, it may have been E5, I'm not sure. That he would, every time he would PCS from one duty station to the next, he would buy a house at that location. And when he would PCS from there, instead of selling his house, he would hire a real estate agent to manage the house and rent it out. And part of the parameters that he set in place was that it could only be rented out to military personnel. And the reason why he did that is because within the military, there's that sense of accountability. So if a service member rents and misses a payment, it gets reported to that person's chain of command. So he was going to get his money for rent. And um, so when he ended up retiring, I think he had uh, 26 years about in, in military service. And he got out with owning five houses, four of which were paid off because he had those people renting from him. And I just thought, man, if I had some insight like that and and the ability to commit to do that, <laughs> that would have been nice. But I didn't have that advice and uh being young and dumb, I don't know if I would have even taken up somebody's insight on that. But yeah, saving and investing, that's, that's a big deal.
1: Yeah, it is. I'm, Cause we started like a college fund for our kids as soon as they're born. So I was trying to set them up for success when they get older. So yeah.
2: So here's an, here's another question for you. Uh, who are three people who have been the most influential? to you in your life, both personally and professionally? I mean, not that one person has to impact both your professional and personal lives, but uh, who are three people or maybe just a couple of people who have impacted you and helped you either personally or professionally? And how did they help you?
1: Well, the first one was probably my uh, Uncle Rick. Um, He's the one uh, who actually took me on that trip to Washington, D.C., um he was a he worked with one of the congressmen from doing their uh their speeches. So and I see like I'm growing up after him, uh similar to him, I had kids around the same age. Um I think he helped me just by getting me out. That was my first time I flew on a plane, uh traveled out to D C, took me to the Capitol building or the stadium, got to see all that. So it was a very big point in my life as far as uh things I got to be um so that was my personal person who's probably influential to me as my uncle um as far as professional i had uh when I was stationed at charleston i had a chief that was stationed there with us chief Sill. um i've never known anyone who could walk into a building and know everyone's name the name of their family members what's going on in their life um so he took the time to know everybody and all out there loading cargo with us as well so i mean just the the amount of dedication he gives to people that I kind of took that on to try to get to walk around our units and know the people. And that's where I get my inspiration to do that is just to, to know people that way by walking, talking to them, getting their stories. And then they build the trust with you. And if they got issues, they come with uh, issues, uh, instead of hiding them.
2: That is powerful. I remember having a commander do the same thing. There are people who are in leadership positions where they, You want to manage people like they manage property. And it just does not create a good level of trust when that happens. What are some resources that you are able to tap into while you are in the service? We've talked a little bit about some resources that are available to veterans, but what are some resources that you feel like you've been able to tap into throughout your time while serving in the Air Force.
1: A lot of supervisors who point me in the right direction to find things. Like our Airman Family Writing Center, um, they've got different things. You a death in the family. They'll pay for a flight home. Uh, we have what's called a Falcon Loan where you can get a thousand dollars of, uh, a thousand dollar loan, zero percent, zero percent interest. Um, I lead a lot of my airmen to that stuff right now when they are having issues. Um, just as far as resources, we have, um, Million life counselors that people can go talk to with no, with no kind of issues. They have, um, all I do take notes, but nothing's put in any records. I know them pretty well on our base here. Yeah, there's our education office. used them quite a bit. Yeah, just a lot of the resources on base that we use. So probably for me, one of the, the story I have, um, and I probably started earlier in my career. I'm a big procrastinator. Um, I put things off as long as I can until I, it's like last hour things do. Probably one, one of the reasons for me, it took me like five or six years to get promoted to E six. Cause I procrastinate, procrastinate, wouldn't study. And all of a sudden it'd be the week prior and, oh crap, I got to study and miss it. And then finally some supervisors pulled me aside and said, you get more organized. Here's how it organize things just learning time management skills and how to organize myself that helped me out with procrastination it took me i joined the air force in 2000 i was all ready to go do my uh degree I was like, i'll have this in two years uh 12 years later i graduated my ccaf my associate's degree i was like oh, this can't happen again so immediately like the month after i enrolled my bachelor's in two years i recognized that i procrastinated a lot and i think that that struggled my career earlier on and I had to learn from it.
2: Well, it's good that you learned it early on so that you could then, you know, better better plan and prepare.
1: Yeah, and if I would have if I would have figured that out, this position would be absolutely terrible. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I said, when we were talking about this last January about potentially retiring, we thought about potentially retiring in the summertime and we just thought about like three months is not enough time to prepare. So the responsible thing was wait, give us the year timeframe to do this whole process. So that's why we push it out a little bit.
2: Now that you're leaving the military, let's say there's a, someone listening to the podcast who is thinking about joining the air force. What is some advice that you would give that person as they look into the military and try to figure out what branch to join? What job to do? Maybe even with that, dispelling or debunking any myths about being in the Air Force or any myths about that particular job that you held in the Air Force.
1: I would say look, look at all the branches, look at the type of jobs they have to offer. You can talk to recruiters, see what the, the jobs are that are needed right now. Uh, some you may have to wait six, eight months. Some get in right away. Look at the the, the branches. Look at the bases that you can go with those jobs. When you do get into the military. I would say enjoy it as much as you can. Get out and see things. Because um, my first duty station, I pretty much went to work the dorms to work. And I was stationed right between San Francisco and Sacramento and never really went out and did anything. So I would say get out and do things, travel as much as you can, um, and enjoy it. It goes by very fast. I like to say, don't suffer violence. Um, if people are a lot of times, the times right now, there's a lot of stuff going on. If, if people have things going on, bring it to someone's attention. Um, I talk to people, three, or four people a day, just hey, going to shoes in my unit. I'd rather them bring it to me and let me help them try to remedy the situation before something permanent happens. Um, big into helping people. And as like I said, I don't like people suffering in silence. I'd rather them bring issues up instead of um instead of not
2: you know i'm glad you said that because they're one of the one of the things that in talking to people to do this podcast is talking about those uncomfortable topics um mental health issues suicide um it's those those issues are real issues people have those issues and it's important to get help it really is i mean it it just i i cannot overstate that enough it it's important to realize that getting that necessary help go do it um there's nothing there's nothing wrong with going in and saying Hey, look, I'm contemplating suicide. I don't want to kill myself, but right now I don't see any other option. Or there's nothing wrong with with going into a mental health provider and saying, I'm really depressed and I can't seem to shake it. Or whatever the case may be, whatever the issue is, talk to a mental health provider Talk to a friend or somebody you trust. Do it. There's nothing wrong with it. It, It's it's it's. There's nothing wrong with asking for help. Um, and but for some reason we allow shame or, um, pride or whatever else that is get in the way, uh, of asking for help and getting that help that we need. So yeah, you're you're on it. I mean, I I totally agree.
1: No, I said it's had suicides in our base uh recently and it that action affects other people's and so when something that does happen you just gotta watch people around you because it affects everyone differently so
2: yeah it does um it does um uh as a chaplain assistant in the army there were you know i had to i had to deal with people uh, who were, um, contemplating suicide more frequently than the average job or soldier service member because of the job that I had. And it is, um, it, it, one, one person attempting suicide, even, you know, I say even a mere attempt, whether it was completed or not is not so much the issue as the fact that you felt so low that you that you felt like the best way to fix that issue or solve that issue was suicide um so yes it's um it does impact other people um so yeah ask for help talk about it because you know, I and I and I do think having somebody like you who cares about people and wants to help people is huge too. Because sometimes all people really need, even if it, even if it's just temporarily, is having somebody to talk to, having somebody to listen to them, judgment free, and not even you don't even have to get you know. And I've been like that too, where. I just may need to talk to somebody about an issue I'm confronted with and having somebody who's going to listen to me and not be judgmental. And I may not even need advice, but knowing that there was somebody who cared enough to listen was powerful and it still is powerful. So yeah, I mean, you, you really are onto something with that. It is huge. What is it about you that you think people don't know about you that you would want to share with them
1: yeah i say just about me i mean i'm pretty simple um i just enjoyed spending time with family looking just trying to find the next part of my life what we want to do i said it's i'm very an open book i just care about people
2: no big deal just care about people
1: just the amount of stuff that we carry throughout i've I've carried a lot through this past five years doing this job as far as a lot of people have told me things like that. It, it, it takes a toll on people. So I'm kind of ready to kind of take a break now for a little bit because it, it takes a, it, it's a burden to carry with it.
2: Oh yeah, it is. It is. And that's one of the things I struggled with too, with the position that I was in. Those professional conversations that I had were protected. And so it was just a matter of, you know, ha- finding an outlet for me where I'm not betraying that trust. Somebody shared something with me in confidence and I'm keeping it that way. So it can be difficult. And if you don't have that means of an outlet, it really can be difficult.
0: Thank you. Have a nice day.